I doing anything to prepare for a potential civil war? Should you date in high school? Would I accept a child if they were gay or transgender? What is Baby Steele's name? These questions and many, many more on this episode of Deconstructing the Culture. I am your host, Elisa Steele. I am not a mom-to-be. Now, you might be clicking on this episode knowing full well that I am indeed pregnant and thinking, why the heck would Elisa say she's not a mom-to-be? I actually brought this up in today's episode for a specific reason. A, because this is potentially one of my last weeks being pregnant before I give birth, so I figure I might as well address this topic that I've been thinking about for well over a year now, and that is the language that we use, especially as Christians and people who say that we are pro-life. We use language like oh my goodness, we'd say this to men and women who are expecting a child, oh my goodness, you're gonna be such a great dad, or oh my goodness, you're gonna be such a good mom, or oh my goodness, just just wait. When you're a mom, you'll know. You'll know how hard motherhood is. And we use this kind of language, and we obviously, I, I would like to think the best of everyone, and I think for the most part, I'd be accurate in saying that when we including myself, have used this language talking to expectant parents, we don't mean it maliciously and we don't mean it with any kind of guile or even really we don't even say it with any kind of true thought behind it. But our language is indicative of a culture, a Western culture, and even a Christian culture that's bought into the lie that pre-born humans aren't really human. They're not really human yet. They're not really a child yet because they haven't been born yet. They haven't, you know, exited the magical birth canal that bestows personhood, or they haven't um, been delivered via C-section and breathed air, which breathing air apparently makes you a person. We know this is not the case. As pro-lifers and as Christians, followers of Christ, we know that breathing air for the first time doesn't bestow personhood upon a, a child. We know that exiting the vaginal canal doesn't bestow this magical personhood. We know that God, Jesus Christ, bestows personhood from the moment of conception. And so why is it, if we know this, that we as pro-lifers still use language that dehumanize the preborn? And I'm saying this as someone who's 100% guilty, trust me, I'm not sitting on my pedestal of pregnancy looking down at you peasants and being like, oh, you imperfect humans using the wrong language. No, I am that person. I am so 100% have been using this language my whole life, which is, you know, I should mention pretty short, um, especially considering um, the fact that the thing is, is, is even though I am a pro-lifer and have been my whole life. Even I am guilty of using this language. And let me explain, if if you're still lost and you don't understand what I'm about to get to, is that we as pro-lifers, and specifically as Christian pro-lifers who believe in the sanctity of life and believe that personhood is bestowed upon us by God and not by breathing air or by a secular idea of what bestows personhood, we have to recognize we have to do uncomfortable things. And one of those uncomfortable things might be completely overhauling the language that we use every day. And by that, I mean, we can no longer use any kind of language that dehumanizes human beings who are in the womb because that plays directly into the 
the worldly leftist narrative that children in the womb aren't human. And I say this because I don't know that I fully recognize this until I got pregnant the first time in July of 2019. And then, you know, if, if you've been following me for a while, you know, my husband and I um, miscarried just shy of 11 weeks. And that was really devastating. I, I did a, a podca podcast episode on miscarriage. Um, you can go back and listen to that. It's um, titled Personal. And putting that aside, I've been talking to a lot of expectant moms here in just the last few months since I announced being pregnant. And um, it's kind of a, a common thing where more and more first-time moms get pregnant, especially pro-life moms, and they get a little like, like uncomfortable and a little wrinkled by all of our culture around us saying, you're going to be a good mom. And we're looking at them like, I don't understand. I'm already a mom. And I don't mean that as in, I'm already a mom, I know all about motherhood or in a proud or, or you know, holier than thou, like I'm already a mom, I know everything, you can't teach. No, that's not what people mean when they say I'm already a mom. Because the truth is, is what we're trying to enforce by perpetuating the idea that yes, we are already a mother and our spouses are already a father is that we're recognizing the humanity of the pre-born child that we're carrying. And the more we come together and try and correct ourselves, and I still have to do this, even having just barely started this, recognizing this language disconnect in the last year, I've been still guilty of using incorrect, I think, um, abortion-minded language. I really think that's what it comes down to is when you tell someone you're going to be a great mom and they're, you know, four months pregnant, seven months pregnant, it doesn't matter. When you tell a pregnant woman you're going to be a great mom, you're inherently by your language saying that the human being she's carrying isn't really human yet because it's not, it's not been born yet. So she's not a mom because if she, if the child, if we acknowledge that the child within her is already a child and already has full personhood, and full value as a human being, then we would acknowledge that she is already a mother. So that is just something that I wanted to bring up. I think it's really, really important for us as pro-lifers and as Christians to address the language barrier. The same goes for saying, you know, I, you know, if you've been following this podcast or any amount of time, I think language is vitally important in how we use that and redefining it and uh, whether or not we allow the left to redefine things. I refuse to call pro-abortionist pro-choicers because they're not pro-choice. There's no choice for the child. So you know, I already picked my battles when it comes to what language we do and don't use. I think this is another language bar barrier and language battle that we've largely lost so far as a Christian pro-life community, but we can reclaim it and it's not that hard. All it comes down to is when you see a pregnant mom and instead of saying, hey, you're gonna be such a great mom, just look at her and be like, hey, you're already such a wonderful mom. I'm so proud of you. Keep keep up it, you know, or keep at it. You're, you're amazing. And just be like, you're, you're already an amazing mom and I can't wait to see you, you know, get to interact with your baby when she's born or when he's born. But just acknowledging that she's already a mother acknowledges the humanity of the child within her because I can guarantee you right now, if you talked to a woman who was four months along and was still considering abortion, if you came up to her and said, wow, you're such a great mom, you're already such a wonderful mom, she 
in the back of her mind or in the front of her mind would have to acknowledge that by you acknowledging and establishing clearly that she is a mother, it's clearly acknowledging, establishing that the child within her is a child, not a clump of cells and not a choice that can be thrown away at her will and at her whim. So that is a little piece of language that I just wanted to address. Please comment in the section below um, in the comments, um, especially on YouTube. Let me know what you think. I'm going to check these comments. Love to interact with you here more. Let me know what your thoughts are. Do you think that there's other areas that we as pro-lifers are failing at the language, the language battle? And how else can we move forward to claim the language of proclaiming human beings as human, whether they're born or not? All right, before we go on, just want to remind you to like, subscribe, leave a review, especially if you're on YouTube, go ahead and hit the little bell for notifications. That's really important on YouTube. And then if you are on iTunes, then go ahead and leave a five-star review. All right, so we're going to go super rapid fire. So if you were, you know, relaxed at this point, just so you know, um, you're going to be hit super like a nozzle head because I'm going to go through these questions super fast. Reason being is because I am about to give birth and it could honestly be any day, I know that this might be the last chance I get for quite a while to do a Q&A. So I'm trying to get through as many questions as I can because my inbox is literally has hundreds and hundreds of unanswered mess messages. And so I tried to take the most asked for um, questions and put them here so I can hopefully answer as many of y'all at the same time that I can. All right, Rian asks, I know that he is the one, but we're just friends for right now. Any advice? Pick this one because a lot of you ask, how do you know if, he, if, if he's the one? So Brianne, I just want to tell you, if you just know that you guys, or that he's the one, but you're just friends, means that he doesn't know that, which means really you don't know that either. I'm just going to tell you right now, um, my advice is, slow down, <laughs> maybe take some time to uh, reflect inwardly, read your Bible and consider that he might not be um, the one because if you're just friends, that signals that maybe there's a lack of connection there. So Brianne, he might not be the right one. Cameron, I graduate college in December, just needing some general advice about being independent. Cameron, thank you so much for asking. This is a great question. General advice for being independent, whether you are graduating college or you're graduating high school and you don't plan to go to college, you plan to enroll in a trade school or jump directly into a trade, which is amazing and fantastic either way. Um, I have some strong feelings about college and I don't think it's necessary for most Americans unless you plan to go into very specific fields that do indeed very much require a degree. Um, but for the most part, my general advice for being independent is start right now. Do not wait till you have graduated high school or college or whatever it is you don't just one day go from completely not being independent to all of a sudden I'm independent and I know exactly what to do with all parts of my life. No, independency is something quite frankly, you should have started a long time ago. I'm not trying to give you a hard time, um, but Cameron, you should not be waiting until you graduated high school or graduated college. You should have started this a long, long time ago when you were, you know, 16, 17. I really recommend for anyone who wants to get ahead in life or be in charge of their life um, in every way, spiritually, physically, directionally, um, that being independent is a process and it is one, it's a skill that you need to learn. Sometimes it comes more quickly for some than others, but you need to pay your own bills, quite frankly. Like, I don't know exactly what your situation is, Cameron, but are you paying your phone bill? Are you paying your rent bill? Are you 
looking at the future and making plans. I remember when I, by the time I was like 16, I was planning six months in advance and then a year in advance and then two years in advance because I had the luxury of doing that. Obviously they were flexible plans, things changed, but I was applying for scholarships for things that I wanted to do and experiences that I wanted to take advantage of, you know, nine months to a year in advance. Being independent is about finding the drive within you that wants to be not just in control of your life, but a commander of your life and, and a commander of the ship that you're steering and looking forward as far as you can and making plans today for where you want to be next year and in five years and in 10 years. So if you graduate college in December, you need to be looking at, okay, if December was right now, what would I be doing differently? What bills would I be paying? What job steps would I be taking? What um, just position, positioning yourself is very, very important. So um, I guess my general advice is about being independent is do not wait for independency to be thrust upon you, chase after it and prepare, prepare, prepare. And the next thing you know, when something hits you that you didn't prepare for, you have already thought through so many different circumstances and future pace that you can find your way more smoothly than just waiting for a crisis to hit you in the face. All right. Janet asks, thoughts on dating in high school? Janet, I tell my teenage little sister this all the time and I tell this to any of my little cousins, basically any teenager who will listen to me, um, don't. Do not date in high school. It is a waste of time. And I say this as someone who's 100% hypocritical. I started dating in high school and I do regret it. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of emotional space and a brain space. High school is such an important and critical time of learning, not just in school, but learning to be the person that God made you to be, learning to be independent, learning to think about your future. The last thing you need is a boy. And let's be honest, you only date and two things happen. Either you get your heart broken or you break someone else's heart. Um, basically, there's either heartbreak or you get married. Now, in my case, I started dating my husband shortly about I started dating him roughly when I was 17. We ended up getting married, dated for a long time. Don't necessarily recommend that either, but that's a subject for another day. My point is you only date and two things happen. You either break up or you get married. So unless you plan on marrying that person, which every high schooler thinks that they will, then, okay, take that off, scratch that. High schoolers are dumb. You don't know what you're doing and you don't know who you're gonna marry. And quite frankly, you shouldn't be dating anybody. You should just be focused on life. It's fine to have crushes. It's fine to go hang out in groups, um, but you don't need that kind of temptation just as, a, as someone who, you know, if you're a Christian and you're waiting for marriage and abstinence is important to you, you don't need that kind of temptation in your life. You definitely don't need that kind of distraction. Do not date for the love of everything. Like don't date until you're actually thinking, I'd be ready to get married in about a year. Like I'm ready, like maybe if you're a mature 17 year old and your culture and your life and you are maybe open to getting married at 18, then sure, start dating at 17. But for the love of everything, if you don't actually plan on getting married till you're like 25 for some reason, then don't even start dating. It's just opening yourself up to heartbreak and wasting someone else's time. Don't do it, okay? John says, would you vote for a pro-life liberal or a pro-choice conservative? John, that's a trick question. I see what you did there. Here's the thing, pro-choice conservatives don't exist. If you consider yourself, again, I don't believe in using the word pro-choice, I'm just using that because that's what you've stated here. If you're pro-abortion, then you're not conservative, end of story. So first of all, there's no such thing as a pro-choice conservative. And would I vote for a pro-life liberal? It depends. 
um, if they called themselves liberal, but they were actually more classically liberal, um, and they were also pro-life, then maybe. If by liberal, you mean that they were like a crazy raging feminist who believed in transgender hormones for children and they were also pro-life? Yeah, no, probably not. So it just kind of depends on what you mean by pro-life liberal. Cup asked, what if your child, uh, what if your child will has other opinions um, than, than you do on the things you stand for? So basically, what if my child disagrees with me politically or even um, on values? Here's the thing. I fully plan on it. It's not a matter of if my child will disagree with me someday. It's a matter of when. Our children don't, I know this as a mother who hasn't given birth to a live child yet. This is my second child now. Um, unfortunately, you know, the first one's with Jesus. The second one I'll get to meet in the next few weeks. But the thing is, is I already know from common sense just looking around me um, that my child won't agree with me. That's just a part of life. It's a fact of nature. My child won't agree with me and I'm okay with that. Um, obviously, I would hope that I would have enough influence on their life and I would influence them more than anyone else or any other system in their life that they would hold values close to what my husband and I hold to, but I am already prepared for the fact that my child, or especially because we plan on having more than one child, that at least one or probably all of my children will disagree with me on the things that I stand for. And that's when you have grace and mercy and love and realize that you don't have to agree with someone 100% to love them. The same way you don't agree with your parents or you don't agree with your siblings or your best friend on everything and you still love them. That is what it is. Callie asked, maybe you've talked about it somewhere, but I'm curious how your mom got out of polygamy. Yes, I actually have talked about this other places. You can look up for a long extended version of the story. Um, I actually have a couple of episodes on it, but I know one of them in particular is called Escape from Polygamy. Um, and I think another one is titled something like I Shouldn't Be Here, I Shouldn't Be Alive or something. But I've had a couple of, of podcast episodes on this topic, so feel free to look those up. The short answer to how my mom got, got out of polygamy is clearly just by the grace of God. Truly a miracle. I don't understand it fully myself. Um, how she had the wherewithal to get out of it because polygamy wasn't something she just stumbled into. This is something she was born into. She is one of 42 children. Um, her dad had, I believe, seven or eight wives. So, you know, my mom is just a kick-butt amazing woman. And she had, I feel like, direction from God. And she would she would tell you her story too, um, that that's not what God had planned for her. And that's not what um, the family was designed to look like as a polygamous relationship. So she escaped out of basement window with myself and my younger brother in two duffel bags, no job, no car. Um, just she knew that she needed to get out of that situation and I'm incredibly, incredibly proud of her and her strength and spiritual guidance and willingness to listen to that spiritual guidance. So Jordan asked, why do you think people are so sensitive to others' opinions? This is a broad question. But what I think it comes down to, Jordan, why are people so sensitive to others' opinions is because in a Western culture of America where we have started to drift further and further away from religion, think about, you wouldn't ask, why are people so sensitive about other people disagreeing with them on religion? It's because religion is a fiercely held, believed faith movement um, regardless of what religion you believe in, but many people have replaced religion with politics and their opinions on politics because 
when you have let go of God and let go of a religious faith, then you have left yourself open to needing to cling to something, to identify as something. So that identification is left without, you know, it's, it's, there's a gap that needs to be filled. Then that ends up being people clinging to their, their, status as a liberal or as a leftist or as a you know trans activist or a gay activist or whatever it is and that becomes almost like a religious belief to them so yes um that's the short answer to why i think people are so sensitive about others opinions because they've clung to them it's become part of their identity and that's why i feel like as christians we we should be able to and hopefully and i'm guilty of not following through to this myself but we should be able to pull back remember our identity is in christ and that we can have our mind changed on the border wall. It's not the end of the world. And we cannot take it so personally that we are identifying first as a Republican or even as a conservative, but we should always be identifying first as a Christ follower. Um, a ton of people are asked, so many so that I literally had to write down like 10 names and finally I gave up. A ton of people asked me, how did, how did I meet my husband? Um, there's a long story to this that's quite embarrassing for me. I feel like I'm blushing right now just thinking about it. Um, how I met my husband. Um, I think I first talked about it in Relationships for Dummies is the title of the episode. I think I did another one. It was like a Valentine's episode. And I answered this question a little bit more in depth, how I met my husband. <laughs> and... Um, I kind of, I feel like I, I borderline chased him, not really, but it felt like it as someone who had, had never put their neck out there um, before when it came to um, to that. So there's a full story of that. You can go listen to that on, I believe, Re Relationships for Dummies, a previous podcast episode for how my husband and I met. But the short story is we were both involved in politics at the Utah State Capitol um, during, uh, uh, there was an intern program called Utah Eagle Form. Um, or yeah, yeah, Utah Eagle Form, and they have a yearly internship, which I really highly recommend if you do live in Utah and you are high school or college age, and we met through politics. So that's the short story. If you want the long story, go check out that episode, Relationship for Dummies. All right. Um, a ton more people asked, again, this is one I'm getting flooded with, is when am I due? Um, I am due August 25th. Today is August 3rd. So I've got like literally three weeks in one day. Um, very, very excited, especially because, you know, not too long ago, 20 or excuse me, 37 weeks, which is where I'm at today, um, that would have considered term. Now they changed the, they changed what's considered full term in 2013. So now full term isn't considered till 39 weeks, but technically, technically I could give birth as early as tomorrow, early as today and as late as 42 weeks. So. A due date isn't really a due date. It's more like a guest date. I could go any day now. So I'm very excited. And if I don't have a podcast episode next week, you will know why. All right. Brianne asked, do I have a birth plan? If yes, what it is. I'm going to make this super short because I'm sure there's a ton of you who don't care to hear about a birth plan. But basically, our birth plan is very naturalistic. We're having home birth, um, you know, you know, God willing, as long as everything is low risk and continues to be low risk. We'll have a home birth. Um, we'll do delayed cord clamping, um, you know, skin to skin contact, um, and as little intervention as possible. Um, we won't be doing any pain meds. We won't have an epidural. So it will be all natural. We'll have a birthing tub. I don't. I don't think I'll have a 
a water birth, but it will be an option. Um, we do have that that you know capacity here, and we have rented a tub here. It helps well with pain management. So that's kind of a very brief rundown as to our birth plan. It's just very El Natural. The plan is to have a baby. So there you go. That's the answer to that. Um, little lady asked, um, that's just her name um, on here. I don't know what her real name is. She asked, were you ever scared about becoming pregnant or all that and all that that entails? How did you face that fear? And am I nervous about giving birth? Am I nervous about giving birth? No, I'm really not. To me, it really just seems like the most natural thing in the world. My mother had five children. Um, four of them were all born at home. Myself, actually, I was born in a tiny little trailer in Mexico, um, and there was no medical help. There was there were no doctor, no midwife. Um, there was just a lady, I guess, they, who called herself a midwife from like a village down the road who'd been at quite a few births, but not like a licensed midwife, like what we would think of in the States. And she gave birth to me there. So if my mom can do it, and we all know she's tough as nails, but if my mother can do that, then I'm sure with all the assistance and lovely medical guidance I have here, I can get through this. And so now I'm really not nervous about giving birth, especially because quite frankly, pregnancy has not been the funnest roller coaster. And so I'm super excited to hold my baby and not be pregnant anymore because I'm really looking forward to keeping all my food down. Yes, I have had morning sickness through all nine months of pregnancy. <laughs> all right, um, as far as did I ever have any fears about becoming pregnant? No, I think my only fear about becoming pregnant is um, maybe, maybe I had this random radical fear every once in a while, like what if I couldn't get pregnant? But that didn't, you know, that wasn't the case. Thank God, we're, we're very blessed. Not everyone has had as easy a time as we have in getting pregnant. So we're very, very, very blessed and we don't take that for granted. All right, Sean asks, do you think Chinese virus is a racist term? No, and here's the reason why. Chinese virus, it's not like when people say that, whether it's Donald Trump or your average Joe American who says Chinese virus, it's not the people who say that are identifying it with the Chinese race. It's not racist because we're not looking at all Chinese people and saying, oh, you are a Chinese person, you are responsible for this virus. No, we're referring to the state of China, which is communist and corrupt and quite frankly, very evil. So by calling it the Chinese virus, we are, we're identifying it with the country with where it's um, to our current knowledge has originated from. So no, it's not racist. Um, plus, quite frankly, we call a lot of things by different names from swine flu to Spanish flu. Uh, of course, I know people will tell me the Spanish flu didn't originate, well, whatever. I'm just saying it's not racist. It's a name, doesn't really matter. Quite frankly, in this case, Chinese virus seems kind of fitting. Sabrina asks, what, you, what is your opinion on vaccines? Glad you asked. I actually did a full podcast episode on this called um, Vax or Provax or Anti-Vax or something along those lines. You'll see it in the title where I talked about that in depth. But the short answer to that is I am skeptical. I am not anti-vax. I'm definitely not pro-vax. What I really am, am more, I'm open to individuals making that decision. I am hardcore against any kind of mandatory vaccination, 100% against any and all kinds of mandatory vaccinations. I don't care if it's coronavirus or tetanus. I don't care. You cannot mandate upon a free people that they must put a vaccination in their or their child's body, especially with how much corruption there is in the vaccination industry. Um, for my own children and for myself personally, if that was more your question, or 
would I vaccinate myself or my own children? I am vaccine hesitant. If I ever did do vaccinations, it would be delayed, very, very delayed, and definitely not all of them. Um, whether or not we will vaccinate our child, still figuring that one out, leaning towards few to none, um, and definitely very delayed. But would I say that everyone has to do it that way? No, the same way I, I think it's wrong for hardcore pro-vaxxers to say everyone has to vaccinate. I think it's wrong to say that no one can vaccinate. I think vaccinations and modern medicine can be a blessing, um, but I think it's deeply evil and wrong to try and mandate that. That's the short answer. You can look for the full episode um, in a previous episode. Patricia asks, are you doing anything to prepare for a potential civil war besides praying, of course? Patricia, here's the thing. I don't think we're actually going to ever have a civil war in America. Not the way people envision a civil war, not the way, not the way we think of the, the civil war, you know, picking up muskets and, and dividing and neighbor against neighbor with guns. I just don't think that's gonna happen because I don't think that we the people, conservative or liberal, are quite frankly ever gonna be in that mind frame. There might be a civil war of ideologies. It might be neighbor turns against neighbor in their heart, much like what we're seeing right now, but not a civil war in, in where people pick up guns or weapons and actually go to war actively with each other. First of all, I don't think there's any specific dividing lines, um, you know, before where it was very, very clearly north and then there was south. So there were geological dividing, dividing lines that I think even allowed that kind of that idea of civil war to exist um for our country we don't have that now yes you could say oh california is so liberal but it's california and the cities not necessarily the country uh the countryside in california and it's the same with new york rural new york is not going to be the same as new york city so i don't think we have um just just on a map i don't think we're we're mapped out to have that kind of civil war and i also just honestly think i don't think americans are brave enough i don't think americans not that i'm saying it would be super brave to go to civil war don't get me wrong i'm not saying we should and i'm not advocating for that but i'm saying i think as a people we're comfortable we're fat and lazy we like to netflix and chill even really conservative, patriotic people I know are really kind of like, eh, the news bothers me. I just tune it out. I don't follow politics. I don't really know who's running. I have no idea who's running for governor right now, much less my state senate. Like, I just don't think we're actively involved enough to even really care enough to go to civil war. So no, I'm not preparing for a civil war because I don't think that, that there will be one. Now, if you're a Christian, um, then you know that there's going to be um, a, a dividing, a, a, a gathering of the wheat from the tares, if you know your Bible. So I, if, if I am preparing for anything, it is for spiritual awakening. It is, my daily preparation has a lot more to do with reading my Bible trying to figure out the will of God, trying to understand his word, going directly to his source instead of relying on prosperity gospel or large influential figures in our world to tell me what's going on in the world and how to interpret it. Instead, while that has its place to listen to spiritual leaders, um, I think getting into the Bible and preparing yourself spiritually is the most important thing that you can be doing, not preparing for a civil war. Now, if you mean physically like preparing for, you know, terrible disaster to happen in our world. Yes and no on that too. I'm not hardcore prepping for the end of the world to happen and the whole world to go to hell. Um, 
I mean that figuratively. Um, I do think that everyone should have food storage and I've been a proponent of this my entire life. I was raised in Utah, which is very prepper mind frame. So, you know, one of my first, very first Christmas gifts from my parents when I was a newlywed was very own three month supply of food storage for myself and my husband. So I believe that no matter what, all Americans should be prepared, whether it's in good times or less, more chaotic times, like right now, I think everyone should be prepared. So you should have food storage, you should have water. I personally have water and I also have a Berkey filter system. Um, you can look it up if you want. Berkey is like literally the best water filter on the market. So I can put pond scum water in it and I could drink it just fine um, and give it to my baby too. So I believe in being prepared physically um, always, just in case of even a hurricane. I mean, I'm in Florida or a, a, an earthquake if you're in Utah or California. So I think that everyone should be prepared um, physically for any kind of disaster. But I think what's more important is to be spiritually prepared. And I think that is not only the most important thing that we can be doing right now, but to be praying is really, it's paramount more than anything else. Um, Chap asks, what are some ways I can support my police during this time? Chap, just don't be a jackass if you get a ticket. Forgive me in that language. I try not to ever use language. But like, one of the things that I'm seeing is, are all police officers great? No. But you know, many of us are guilty of just being real jerks to police officers when we are in the wrong. So how can you support your police? If you're in the wrong and you are speeding, just don't be a jerk. Take your ticket, you know, swallow that pill. Um, as far as reaching out to them, I mean, we can do a lot. When you do think, when you do see men and women who are in uniform, thank them for their service. Thank them, especially during this time when so many cops, I'm sure, don't want to be cops right now. Just thank them. Hey, thank you for your service. Thank you for being a, a an influence for civility in our country and for doing your job. Most cops are not in it for the glory. They're in it because, um, honestly, for similar reasons as to why someone would join the military. So be kind to your police officers. Thank them. If you want to go the extra mile, find your local police office um, station. Maybe, you know, bring them some, go to Costco and buy cookies in bulk or something. Um, do something kind and just drop it off and, and maybe just write a handwritten thank you card and just say, hey, thank you for your service. Um, that's the best that I can think of for supporting. And then obviously prayer, always, you know, pray for their safety and what they're doing, especially in today's times. Reagan asks, will you be sharing baby's name? Reagan, you're not the only one to ask this. And I feel so bad answering this because a lot of y'all might not be surprised by my answer, but you probably won't like it. We're actually not going to be sharing um, any of our children's faces or names. I'm sure you can understand why, but for those of you who maybe don't, I'll spell it out for you. First of all, in today's day and age, I don't think it's necessary, and I'm not trying to sound judgmental because most people I know share their children's faces and names on the internet. I personally don't believe in that. I really am grateful that the internet wasn't around when I was little. I don't think I'd want to be able to, for anyone to be able to search my mom's Facebook and see pictures of me growing up um, or have any kind of information about me. I think that children do have a right to their privacy. Um, and so, you know, while I'm not saying you're like so wrong and evil as a parent, if you're sharing your child's, you know, information or their faces on the internet, it's just not a choice that I would like to do. I would like to give my children the gift of privacy and the gift of 
anonymity. Um, so I won't be posting any of my children's faces or names on the internet. And then an added reason on top of that is, as you know, much of the information um, and the views that I post online are very controversial. The death threats and the slurs and the just pure vile, vile evil um, that can be directed at myself can be very intense. Um, and I am okay with that. And I have accepted that and I move forward with boldness regardless. That's not something I want to subject my children to. And I'm sure you can understand. Um, the last thing I need is for me to post a pro-life photo um, with my daughter's face and then someone to post the vile things under her face that they already post and send to me daily about you know, actually, I'm not I'm not even going to repeat what they say. But if you follow me, I sometimes take screenshots and put those up in my story. So you'll have an idea as to some of the vile messages I receive. I'm just not going to subject my children to that. Um, so no, I won't be sharing baby's name, but we will tell you when she's born. And um, I don't know, maybe we'll get a picture of a hand or something, something sweet. But um, unfortunately, we won't be sharing her face or, or her. I don't, I don't want to say unfortunately, it's just it's not a world where I feel like that's going to be a good choice, especially for the line of topics that I pursue from child sex trafficking to pornography and um, border issues and transgender issues and sexual education issues. These are all issues that are very, very intense, hotly debated issues um, that I just, I don't need my children to be connected with. All right, Jan asked, do I prefer coffee or tea? <laughs> pre-pregnancy coffee, post-pregnancy or during pregnancy, I should say tea. I don't know what it is. I have a coffee aversion. I don't know what it is. Like I can drink coffee and I like it, but ever since I've been pregnant, I just kind of like, eh, only kind of like coffee. So there you go. More than you ever wanted to know about that. Ellie asks, would you ever adopt? Ellie, whenever people ask me how many kids do I want, I say all of them. I want all of the children that God gives me. And I don't know if that means biologically or if that means adopting or fostering. I have no idea. I am just open for the doors that God opens for me and my husband. So whether that is adopting or biological or a mix, I don't know. Um, but I'm open to all the children God wants to bless us with. All right, Savannah asked, when did you first develop an interest in politics? Savannah, Savannah, that's a good question. So my family, my mother specifically, got me involved in politics young, even though it wasn't directly. It was her getting involved in pro-life politics in Utah, and she would take me to the state capitol there, and I would just be super bored. Um, <laughs> but it also started me young with an appetite and uh, familiarity with that environment, and um, I don't know, I can't peg exactly when I became involved in politics because it seemed more like less of an involvement in politics and more of a pursual of, of defending and wanting to, to promote the values that I believed in. Um, I will say I do have a fond, cringy memory of myself at like 13 or 14 writing a paper about why Obama should be impeached and it's absolutely pitiful and there's like zero actual factual information in there as to why Obama should be impeached. It's like stupid stuff. I had no idea. I don't even think I understood what impeach meant. I was just using it because I thought, oh, that just means you get rid of the president. But I didn't have any realistic <laughs> understanding of um, impeachment rules and what, what deserves an impeachment or not. So I was involved and interested at a young age. I can't even tell you exactly when. 
um, it might have been reading about child sex trafficking when I was, you know, a teenager and wanted to fight against that. It might have been seeing a, a pro-life undercover video to Planned Parenthood for the first time when I was about 13. I don't know. Um, it started young, but I mean, I remember going to, to caucus meetings and all kinds of stuff with my mom as young as four years old. So I don't know exactly, but young, very young. And I, I blame it on my mother. Um, Oliver asks, would you accept your child if they were trans or gay? What would you do? So here's the thing, Oliver. I looked at your Instagram profile, which I don't usually do for people who ask questions specifically. Um, and I can tell that you are gay. So I'm going to approach this with sensitivity because I understand that you're probably just confused. And I don't know what kind of experience you had um, or are having. I don't know how old you are either. Would I accept my child if they were trans or gay? The answer is yes. The same way I would accept anyone as trans or gay. I think the difference is, is what you and I would define as accept um, is different. For you, maybe I'm guessing, um, but my idea of what you would see as accept would be to fully condone and fully support a person's decision to live a homosexual lifestyle or to um, live out a transgender lifestyle. I don't view it the same way. I would not fully support a child if they chose to go forward and live a homosexual lifestyle. I would strongly admonish against that and I would pray for them fiercely and same if they wanted to pursue being transgender. Um, I think that is it's a terrible burden to carry those, either of those, but the truth is, is as Christians, the loving thing to do is not to accept as in to condone and embrace and promote a homosexual lifestyle. If our child is homosexual, as Christians, we should want what God wants for them. And that's to follow his plan for the family, his plan for their life. Um, and that is not to, you know, not to pursue a homosexual lifestyle. That's not what the Bible encourages. It says that it's a sin against yourself. Um, so we should never encourage or embrace our children sinning the same way if my child had a chronic uh, theft problem. I wouldn't accept them by accepting that they have, you know, tendencies to steal and that they want to, um, you know, they want to take things that are not theirs. I wouldn't accept them. Be like, oh, that's fine. I love you and embrace you. And I think it's great that you steal. No, I would say, I love you. You are my child. I will always love you. I will always pray for you. But what you're doing is wrong. It's wrong to steal. Um, and I know it's not quite the same comparison, but um, I think Oliver, we would have to um, agree on what the word accept means. So would I accept my child if they were gay or transgender? And to my definition, yes, I would. I would always love my child and I would always pray for them and support them to do, to follow God's plan and God's will. Um, Nels asked, and this is my last question, but Nels asked, how can me and my wife pray for you and your family? Very, very kind of you to ask. Thank you so much for asking. Um, we are just we're just looking forward to baby girl being here. So pray for us, pray for a safe and healthy delivery, pray for no complications. That is our prayer um, and pray for our country, pray for our leaders, both our, our church leaders and our political leaders, whether we agree with them or not. I would be saying the same if Barack Obama was president and I'm saying the same that Trump is president. 
pray for our leaders. We are in a time now of great division. And um, I think, honestly, there's a, a spiritual awakening happening even now. So pray for your, pray for your community, pray for your families. Um, I think we can all be lifting each up, uh, lifting up each other in prayer. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Please remember to subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend. God bless you. God bless America. This is Deconstructing the Culture, and I am your host, Lisa Steele. Thank you so much for joining me. Please remember, if you are on YouTube, hit the subscribe button, share this with a friend, and don't forget to hit the little notification bell because you can have all kinds of subscriptions today on YouTube, but if you're not getting notified when hot new content drops, then you are missing out and you might not see my newest and latest content. So please hit that little alarm bell. And then if you are on iTunes, leave a five-star review and then type something, anything, preferably something nice. And that would help so much. It really helps with the iTunes rankings tremendously. And have a wonderful rest of your day. If I don't see you for a minute, it's because I had a baby. But if I see you next week, then I'll see you next week. God bless you. Bye-bye.